one and a two and a three and a uh. Welcome to the Tommy Without Adam Hard to Name Podcast, season number four, episode number 15. Doing this podcast from Date Cola Promotion Studios One in beautiful downtown Wichita, Kansas, and going out to the entire world. I am your host, El Gran Tommy Martinez. As always, I'm ready to deliver yet another great episode of this podcast. Available on Spotify, Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast, RSS Podcast, and many other of your favorite platforms. Yeah! <laughs> and that wonderful piece of music is my gift to you. I still haven't figured out what I'm going to do with... Uh, with that intro, I don't know if I'm going to cut it down. I don't know if I'm going to overdub it. Eh. Still, I really like it. It's like one of my babies. <laughs> I hope you enjoyed the last podcast. I thought it was pretty good. I received some emails. You know how it is. Mixed reviews. We still have those folks that miss Adam. No surprise there. I'll see what I could come up for this podcast. Hopefully, I'll pleasantly surprise myself. Since I am one of the most talented people that I know. <laughs> bullshit? Oh, come on. Bullshit? It's not bullshit. Bullshit. <laughs> Just got back from vacation. Man, I had a great time. I was in uh, Central Florida, Puerto Rico number two. Jesus almighty. There's so many Puerto It's like being in Puerto Rico. The traffic, the heat, all of it. Even the food and the good times. Yeah. Plus, being down there, it always gives me the opportunity to see my brothers, my brothers in arms. For those of us who've been in the service, understand what I just said. You make these friendships along the way as you serve our country. Friendships that become fraternal, they, they become brotherhoods and sisterhoods. It really is good to see them again. It always fills my soul. Plus, my wife, uh, she knows their spouses. And I want to give a quick shout out to my two brothers that I actually enjoyed every second I was with them, which was my partner, the Shag, and of course, Mike Matos and their wonderful wives and families, Carmen and Norma and uh, the girls, Nash and, and uh, Sarita. I mean, it was just so great to see them and spend that time kind of downtime. I don't have a lot of friends here, you know, as you can tell. Adam already abandoned me here and Adam was really my really my only one true friend here in the Wichita, Kansas area. So to go down there and spend that time, it's always good for me. 
We stayed with the Santiago's. I mean, they treated us so well. Carmen and the Shag, they just went out of their way to make us feel so welcome and so at home. The other primary reason we went down there was to see my beautiful and wonderful friend Lillian. I've known her for so many years, and we've shared so many great experiences together. And a couple of months ago, she invited me down to uh, attend her retirement ceremony. She retired from the Army after 30-plus years of service. And I have a personal policy to stay away from all these Army ceremonies and shit like that because, honestly, it, I'm already out. It, it gives me these uh, weird flashbacks when I go to these things. But, you know, I had promised her that I would go, and I did. And, wow, I'm so glad that I went. Because on top of that, it was a beautiful ceremony, very well organized and short, which is very important. I had the opportunity to see some other people that I knew. And of course, we had the chance to catch up and tell some bullshit stories and laugh for a bit. The coolest part of this whole thing was that I was surprised to see a friend of mine that I hadn't seen in so many years. And I didn't even know he was there. And we had been neighbors back, I want to say, in 1998. My buddy Juan Grajales, fast forward to 2023, he's a grandpa, I'm a grandpa. It was just awesome. And Wilda was happy to see him. You have no idea. Going back to Lillian's special occasion, it was so wonderful. It was an awesome party afterwards. Her family, uh, everybody, they were just going out of their way to welcome people to the party. They were such wonderful hosts. Yeah, her mom, her brothers, her daughters, her daughters are so beautiful. I mean, everything that's supposed to happen while you're gone, you're on vacation, the relaxation, the good times, it happened. Quality time with my beautiful wife. I can't ask for anything more. But I'm not here today on this podcast to talk about me living my best life. No, I'm here to actually start this podcast. What say you we do that? It's Rockin' History, brought to you from the pages of History.com, TodayInMusic.com, SongFactsHistory.com, and ClassicBands.com. This is Wasp and their version of Promised Land. Yeah, Promised Land. It's an Elvis cover, but not really. I think this is a, a Chuck Berry tune, but Elvis did it too. So, And I don't do a lot of Elvis stories here or a lot of Michael Jackson ones, but eh, I thought this was pretty uh, interesting because uh, in 1956, August the 14th of 1956, a Washington, D.C. disc jockey by the name of Bob Rickman created the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Elvis Presley. Shit. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you know that I like putting things into context. And this is where I'm going to go with this, because much of the national coverage of Elvis had been critical. 
And it was evidenced by a bunch of headlines which referred to him as a hillbilly. And some even considered him a threat to society. You all know the, uh, the hip-shaking moves that Elvis was already famous for. For 1956, this was the kind of hate Elvis was already receiving. Let me check my text real quick. It's freaking early. Who could be texting me? Okay. It's my son. I'll take care of that a little bit later. Big week this week. My granddaughter's going to start school. So let's get back to Elvis. So here we are in 2023, and we have artists that are banned for X or Y reason. A lot of it's that bullshit canceling inclusiveness crap. You would think that the shock value today would be minimum, but we still have the ones that are banned because of their material, uh, because of the content that they're putting out in whatever media it would be, be it digital download, be it via YouTube, where YouTube's going to control whosoever content, however they feel like it, so will Facebook and the rest of these platforms. But in 1956, there was none of that. It was either radio or TV. Or record stores. There wasn't even parental guidance stickers or any fucking controlling restrictive measures at all. And it's funny because when I was a kid, you know, in my teens, and I saw that Ozzy had been banned here or there, KISS, ACDC, all these other metal groups. Well, I was thinking, wow, here's a ban on these guys and maybe uh, this is when it started. But no, it started way, way back. Now that I think about it, hating probably has been uh, going on for many years. It doesn't seem to be anything new when you think about it. Probably Mozart had haters. Uh, probably all the Renaissance artists had haters. Art, art in any form, does that to people. I think that's what it's all about. You either like it or you don't. And some of it becomes so popular that it becomes menacing. To the status quo, history has proven that. And here, on this historical piece of rock and roll, you have to create a group to protect against any kind of cruelty against Elvis or whoever it may be. I really don't think Elvis needed any protecting. He even told you in one of his songs, don't be cruel. I found this interesting enough to go back and kind of research this whole story. And there wasn't a whole bunch about this uh, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Elvis Presley. So I'm going to have to speculate here and say this is just some bullshit that this DJ made up maybe to up his uh, radio listenership because we all know Elvis was super famous and very well loved. As a matter of fact, I think sometime this month, back in 1977, Elvis overdosed on prescription drugs and died. <laughs> so basically, he was being cruel to himself. Unmistakable intro, power chord, synthesizer, the crowd is into it. You have one of the greatest drummers behind the kit, just tapping away at all the toms and the cymbals. You know this is the who, and won't get fooled again. And this is live. Yeah, unmistakable, 100% unmistakable. The Who released their 
fifth studio album on August 14, 1971. Who's next? And of course, it featured this song right here. Now, this song, this uh, this album has a lot of cool uh, hidden facts behind it. Apart from being it considered the one of the Who's uh, greatest albums, even greater than Tommy, and uh, one of the greatest rock albums of all time. It's been remastered, reconstructed, reissued. A lot of this uh, re-things going on with this album. Uh, you know, why mess with a masterpiece? Why try to even remake something like uh, the Who's Who's Next? I don't know. Maybe other than remastering because it always comes out a little bit clearer. Three of the Who's top singles are featured on this album. Singles that are relevant today on classic rock radio. 50 plus years later. Won't get fooled again, obviously. Baba O'Reilly and Behind Blue Eyes. <laughs> Baba O'Reilly many times mistaken for Teenage Wasteland. Or that's what people believe the title is. People who don't know anything about rock and roll. But it's actually Baba O'Reilly. And for those who don't know the story yet, the title for this song was inspired by two people that were sort of Pete Townsend's mentors at the time. He took both names of these people and combined them into Baba O'Reilly. The first being Mehar Baba, an Indian guru or spiritual leader who claimed to be an avatar for some god somewhere. I don't know. But, you know, it was still he was the dude that uh, kind of guided uh, Pete Townsend a little bit. You know, during that time, if you remember, there was a lot of that going on. The Beatles experimented with it and some other popular groups. They were into all this uh, Middle Eastern or Indian kind of spiritualness. Some of the music even featured sitars and instruments like that. I can't recall if the whoever used any kind of these mystical instruments. And speaking of instruments, the next person's name that was used as part of this title for uh, Baba O'Reilly was a guy by the name of Terry Riley. And what was influential to uh, <clears throat> Pete Townsend? This guy was an American composer and a performing musician. He was known for using a technique called minimalist, a form of music where you would use the least musical material possible when composing and producing any kind of music. And that being the case, there was a lot of repetition, repetitive patterns, reverb, and the other effects that we're used to today. He was also known for pioneering and using electronic music or electronic means to produce music, aka drum machines and, of course, the synthesizer. So if you know a little bit about The Who and Pete Townsend, you could see where he gets that influence from. Mm, let me check. I think uh, you better, uh, you better, you bet. And you could hear some of that. Let me punch it up real quick. Yeah, this is it. Let me start it from the beginning. See that repetition? And here comes the synthesizer. The it's really in the undertone of the song. Very cool. And going back to the Who's Who's Next, both of these songs, Baba O'Reilly and also Won't Get Fooled Again, featured the synthesizer and they were picked as singles for this record. I'm going to share one last factoid on this record and it's associated to the Eagles because the guitar that is played mostly on this album was given to Pete Townsend by none other than Joe Walsh. 
So there's a Wichita connection to the who's who's next. Joe Walsh was born here. That, ladies and gentlemen, on the drum is Mr. Rick Allen from Def Leppard. Nice. 1986, August the 18th of 1986, at a soggy Monsters of Rock Festival at Castle Donington, England. Def Leppard drummer Rick Allen gets a huge ovation when he takes the stage with the band. We've covered uh, Rick Allen's accident on previous episodes of this podcast. We also covered recently an issue that happened to him in Miami where he was jacked up by somebody. Tried to rob old poor Rick. Probably one of those crackheads. But this story is about when he made that comeback from his accident at none other than the Monsters of Rock. You know, this is not the boy bands of rock. And I say boy bands in parentheses bands or the pussy fake musicians of rock or the pansy wansies of rock 1980s had enough of those this was the monsters of rock one of the biggest heavy metal festivals out there at the time you know this was a dream to go out there and see these performers at castle dinington you would read about it all these rock and roll magazines cream magazines or hit paraders and you just, oh i wish i could be there and Rick Allen made his debut as the one-armed drummer of rock and roll. A triumphant return, to say the least. Now, they say that fame is a bitch, that rock touring and all these other things are kind of bothersome. But you have to place yourself in the mind of Rick Allen, who started out as a kid playing the drums for what turned out to be a pretty awesome rock band. They were formed sometime in the mid-70s. They have had at least three albums by this time. On Through the Night, High and Dry, and the monster record Pyromania. So they had a good catalog. They had a good uh, standing, a pretty decent worldwide fan base by the time Rick Allen had his accident. And all of a sudden, you find yourself without an arm. An arm that you need to do what you've done best all your life, which in the case of Rick Allen was play the drums. And there's the human factor to this history piece. You come back on stage at Castle Donington, England, and your fans, the fans of this band, receive you with this thunderous applause and and overwhelming love. A love for what you do with so much passion. And not only that, mind you, they came back with another, even bigger album, which was Hysteria. That has to feel pretty damn good. Now, you probably know it's already uh, some form of an electronic drum incorporated and made as a part to an acoustic kit. But did you know it mainly consists of four electronic pedals for his left foot to play the pieces he used to play with his left arm? These electronic pedals from left to right trigger sounds of a closing hi-hat, the bass drum, snare drum, and a tom. I'm positive from the perspective of a regular human being, in other words, you and I, 
in order to play that instrument, that has to seem amazing. Now, from a drummer's point of view, just using one arm and your left foot to control all those sounds after training yourself for God knows how long, that has to be crazy. It has to be insane. Think about it this way. It is difficult enough to be able to write. Let's say, in my case, I write left-handed. To write with my right hand when my left hand was recovering from a couple of surgeries I have had on my left arm and hand. So for Mr. Rick Allen to come back to share his talent with his fans through his natural talent and the magic of technology, that is absolutely an incredible second chance to continue doing what you love doing the most, which in this case was making great rock and roll. So much buildup. I'm getting excited just sitting here. Nirvana live at Reading and this is Breed much power that this trio brought to music man that sounds so awesome nirvana did i say reading yeah it was live at reading because back in 1991 wait 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 i have this in my i have i have to get this out even if you have even if you need i don't mean to stare we don't have to breed oh shit okay i'm back where was I? Okay, okay. Nirvana Reading Festival. August 23rd <laughs> of 1991. <clears throat> Man, I'm hungry too. Shit. I hope a, I hope a Willa gets up here and makes me some breakfast today. And this song just made it worse. <laughs> I expended what energy I had maybe on it. Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> a month before the Nevermind album is released, Nirvana wow the crowd at the Reading Festival in England. In the country, just like the Castle Donington Festival is held at. The set was capped by Kurt Cobain running headlong into the bass drum of Mr. Dave Grohl. I don't know about the regular people, but I'm sure the legion of listeners that we have on this podcast have seen on all these different music video channels that have sprung up on all these different kind of cable networks or even on these TVs nowadays that have these free channels once you uh, set them up. 
have seen all these different types of music festivals that they have in Europe. There's the Tomorrowland Festival in Belgium. Let me see. The Download Festival. That's a big one. I believe that one is also in England. The Wake and Air Festival. It had some Metallica stuff the other day. The Tusca Open Air Metal Festival. That's in Finland or maybe Denmark. That's pretty big over there with the death metal and all that shit. The Hellfest Open Air Festival in France of all places. And that's just to name a few. Today, those festivals, I would say, are pretty uh, hmm, Pride Month-ish, you know, something like that. No offense, by the way. I always say, if that's your thing, that's your thing. And I say that because they have all that electronic dance music, the EDM, as one time Adam schooled me on. And I'm talking about those performers, quote-unquote, that are DJs. They're in the middle of the stage and dishing out this music that people are mindlessly dancing to. Probably all hyped up on chemical happiness and cannabis. Where's the substance on that? Where's the hardcore rock and roll performers with the drums and the bass guitar providing an insane rhythm to this great rhythmic electric guitar, maybe some keyboards, a great singer doing a memorable performance for the whole crowd? Where is that? I don't want to sound too geezerish now, but honestly, uh, for the record, if you're using electronic music like the Who did, well, that's different. There's a different standard. They used it to enhance their live performances using live instruments. I'm just saying. I want to clear that up. Even the Rapizzle shows some pretty good performances. They're backed up by a DJ who spins records for them to rap over. But no, people want that EDM. I mean, what kind of shit is this? Please stop! <laughs> Oof, what a bunch of oogas. I'm just so glad. I grew up when music was meaningful, you know, enough to throw yourself headfirst into a drum set. <laughs> I hope you kick back while you listen to one of the most incredible bass lines gifted to us in one of the most incredible rock songs that has ever existed. You know who this is. Oh yeah, you know who this is. This is Aerosmith, baby. And sweet emotion. Oh, yeah. Live, which is always the best way to go. Ooh, Tom Hamilton. Wow. August the 25th of 2006. Aerosmith bassist Tom Hamilton misses his first gig in 24 years after being diagnosed with throat cancer. Fast forward to 2023, Tom Hamilton is still with us, so he beat it. That's the good part of this history piece. I'll repeat it and I'll keep saying it over and over again. 
Get out there. See your favorite rock stars while you still have a chance. They're getting older. Don't miss that opportunity to see some really cool shows. As a matter of fact, Paul McCartney just announced some U.S. dates on some tour he's on. Eh, I won't go see him because I already saw him a couple years ago with Adam. And we paid a pretty good penny to see that show. But it was phenomenally good. And I'm really talking about, you know, the rock stars that are up there in their 70s. Kiss, Aerosmith. Go see those if you can. Not so much as the ones that are touring right now, which are also Def Leppard, Metallica, Guns N' Roses. Ah, those are about my age still, so yeah. You don't want to wait until they're about the age of ZZ Top. That Adam and me both believe they pull some bullshit on us when we went to see them last year at the Hartman. It's always good news, actually, when your favorite rock stars beat something like cancer. This is Anne and Nancy Wilson with the Foo Fighters. Kick it out. One of their more hard rocking songs, very bluesy. Early heart, actually. Mmm. Wow. Don't do a lot of heart here. Do a lot of Foo Fighters, though. <laughs> Woo, 2016. August the 26th of 2016. Now I'm curious. Is this off of Little Queen or... Well, what's that? The huge one. Dog and Butterfly. Yeah, Dog and the Butterfly. Something like that. I do know this is off of the same album that Barracuda's on. Anyway... That was in the 1970s. Now we're in 2016. Ann Wilson's husband is arrested for assault after getting physical with Nancy Wilson's 16-year-old twin sons. I really never heard about this. This is the first time. 2016, I could see where this is a big deal. Uh, If it would have been the 70s, just like this album that I was mentioning, that was pretty normal. I remember growing up in New York and in Puerto Rico. You didn't go fucking up in front of anybody, be it your mom, your aunts, your uncles, their husbands and wives, which are which technically they're your aunts and uncles, at least in my culture. Hell, the neighbors could get in on some of that action if you go screwing up. And that's regardless if you're innocent or guilty. Matter of fact, anybody came to my house and gave so much as a hint, as a complaint of me screwing up, that was it. My mom was on me. Not so much for my kids. You know, I'm I'm going to go on uh, Nancy's side on this one. I think she had every right to be pissed off about that. So much so that this caused a rift between her and her sister Anne, who finished that particular tour back in 2016 with separate dressing rooms to avoid contact with each other. Don't go fucking with people's kids. That's the lesson here. But in my case, I was still of the mind that if you told me something, I wasn't just going to go on my kid's side. I was going to check what's going on. And they knew it, too. And that was a free tip on Parenting 101. This weekend. Oh, yeah. Hold up, hold up, hold up. Hold it up. I have to see on which album Kick It Out was on. I just can't leave this segment without uh, letting the legions know that this album was on. Let me see. All right. Yeah, it was on Little Queen. And it was the same album as Barracuda. So at least I got that right. Now we could fire up the Kiss segment. One, two, three, four. This weekend. Oh, yeah. 
to feel good ah, about 20,000 fans singing you happy birthday Gene Simmons wow he just turned 74 years old on August the 25th that's uh, a few days ago he was born in 1949 I was just talking about geezers of rock just a little while ago you know who else had a birthday and is great in his very own right the metal god himself, Mr. Rob Halford. I've been doing this podcast now for about four years almost, and <laughs> I had never realized that. Or maybe I did and didn't think that uh, was a big deal until I'm trying to find some kind of a <laughs> relatable news article or maybe a historic piece for the kiss moment. <laughs> yes, I just shamelessly said that. And as is custom on uh, my podcast, here's a little factoid for those who didn't know. Judas Priest opened for Kiss back in 1979. And Kiss uh, probably would have been touring under either Dynasty, uh, maybe the residue of Love Gun, and those four bullshit albums that they dedicated to each other. Judas Priest, probably 1979. Let me think real quick. Stained Class. Yeah, and that, uh, what was that other one that they did live? Unleashed in the East, I think it was. Anyway, still, great live band. I could see where Kiss would bring them aboard and expose them to their fans. Happy birthday, Gene Simmons and Mr. Rob Halford. Wow, that's a kind of an awkward pairing. But still, they share the common love for some rock and roll. works for me. All right. It is time for Hashtag What the Frijoles. Hmm. We're going to keep in the subject of retirement and geezerdom on uh, this uh, podcast. And when I say geezerdom, the kingdom of the geezers, i.e. the geezers of rock. Because I was reading on Ultimate Classic Rock, you know, one of the uh, mainstays of information here of the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast, now available on Google Podcast, <laughs> along with Spotify and Apple Podcast app, RSS Podcast, and God knows how many others. Because there's a list here of performers who said they will never retire, and I'm going to rattle them out for you. The Rolling Stones. Bruce Springsteen, Bruce Springsteen, who fell the other day in some European festival, almost broke his ass. Rod Stewart, 
eternal playboy image kind of dude wrong metallica they even said they'll never retire mm, for right now fellas uh keep doing what you're doing paul mccartney i mentioned him earlier mm, he's up there ringo start okay ringo it's not like you're doing a lot of touring to begin with and it's not like you're filling up huge stadiums like your uh, compadre there paul Robert Plant, he's out there with Alison Crouch. Uh, he's up there. He's pretty much up there. Uh, Stevie Nicks, Ozzy Osbourne, who's had all kinds of health problems. He peeks his head in every once in a while on stage. Some kind of special performance. Neil Sean of Journey. Now, this guy coming up right here, Iggy Pop. Jeez. This guy, I'm almost positive that this guy is actually going to keep his word and never retire. Probably die on stage. Uh, Joan Jett, still pretty young. Rob Halford, he said he's never going to retire. Ann Wilson, Alice Cooper, Iron Maiden. No, I'm retired. I'm retired from the United States Army. I did 20 plus years of active duty. At the beginning of this podcast, I was telling you I was in Tampa at my friend Lillian's retirement ceremony and party. And this is my take on retirement. I chose a career that was physical, demanded a certain kind of abuse on the body. And I used to romanticize it kind of like if we were musicians. We were always on the go. We were away from our families. We'd come back in that sense. Not in the sense that you're having a really good time as a musician and you're banging chicks and all. Some some of these nerdwells are doing drugs and alcohol and all this other stuff. Yeah, that that part that doesn't look eh, not so much like a soldier, even though some would beg to differ. So when you take on these new careers, they're they're exciting. You know, you grow into them, and with time, they start feeling comfortable, especially when you're really young. And with time, it's so much so that leaving it becomes more and more difficult. You fool yourself by thinking you can do it for the rest of your life. We all know health, the example of Tom Hamilton a little while ago, that thinking that way is total bullshit. You're older now, and the inevitable comes. It's time for you to go and be replaced by some younger, healthier, stronger, in some cases, like musicians, much more talented than you are. Maybe not so much talented, but at least relevant. And leaving that career, whatever it may be, feels like jumping into the abyss all over again, like when you jumped into the abyss and uh, found this career. It feels weird at first, but if you prepare, it'll feel less awkward. That's what I think. I prepared. That's how I did it. I prepared mentally. I prepared financially. Unlike rock, unlike rock stars, we don't retire with a bunch of money if they did the right thing. That's not all of them, actually. Like Mr. Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley, I'm sure they won't have that much problem, at least financially. But you kind of know when the time is right. And that's how I want to end up this. And that's how I want to cap off this What the Frijoles. And when that time does come, it's scary. Absolutely. At least it was for me. And just like these musicians, I had been in my career since I was basically a kid. And a lot of these musicians are the same way. They've been doing this for a long, long time. And they started out very, very young. But as big or as godlike that you may think yourself, especially these people that have fame and fortune. You can't beat Father Time. That's why you take the opportunity when the opportunity presents itself. Who the hell wants to pay good money because these shows aren't cheap to see some guy who probably has the pens attempt to rock the crowd when he or she should be in a rocker? Now, I get what Kirk Hammett was quoted saying on this article. 
He says, the universe put me here to play guitar, and I'm going to fulfill that to the end. So he gets a little poetic. The universe. Yeah, right. Okay. He continues saying, I don't believe in retirement because I'm a musician. Okay. And some other people share that sentiment. But being what you are doesn't take away the fact that you can't do what you're doing at the highest peak and charging people to watch you do it. That is the difference. Now you all had great talent. We thank you. We thank you for sharing it with us. We thank you for sharing it with the world. But not retiring? Get the frijoles out of here with that shit. Take a break when your time comes, dudes. That was hashtag. What the frijoles? And kind of on a soapbox too. Let's say we try a new intro. How's that? It's the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. Sound of the week. There, another child that I birthed. <laughs> and I've recycled some of Adam's audio. <laughs> For good old time's sake. Sound of the week. I told you I'd keep some of the older segments. And I really needed to revive this one. For this episode. Because the guys at Guns N' Roses released a new song. They're out on the road and decided to, uh, I don't know, put out a new song. Let's jump right into it. Piano intro, unmistakably Axel voice. Okay, pre-chorus, I guess. The song reminds me of uh, The Garden off of Use Your Illusion 1. If that was a pre-chorus, it's pretty long. Okay. It's alright. The critics tore it apart. There's a little slash solo there. Not too pronounced, not too long either. Okay. Here comes the piano.
Yeah. It's alright. Uh, will it make it to my playlist on a frequent basis? Probably not. I was excited to hear it. It was you know, a brand new song. They're out on the road. They put this together. Hell, why not? It's long, almost four. It's just extremely difficult for any song that these guys put out to meet the expectations of of older fans. It's difficult enough to write a song, to come up with another song to top the one that you just wrote, or in the case of Guns N' Roses, who has put out mm, three, four albums, that they could probably continue touring on those songs alone and try to top them? Mm, Almost impossible. I'm no music critic. I am no music analyst whatsoever. I gave this segment a shot. How's that? And I'm going to call this... New song by Guns N' Roses, uh, a tinkering, a tinkering that's pretty good, you know, not too bad. But I will call my new musical intro for this segment pretty damn awesome. the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast, Sound of the Week. You're damn right. And it's time to bring it all home. Good times, bad times. On the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name Podcast. It sure is. bad time for donald trump and his fans he was arrested and booked in fulton county georgia along with uh rudy giuliani america's mayor (laughs) i still remember when sasha baron cohen sucker giuliani played him for a fool in that last borat movie we all know that's political bullshit but still it's funny when trump is in the news it's entertaining when, you know, the other guy's in the news, it's like, oh, okay, he's falling asleep. No big deal. That's not funny. This Trump arrest immediately sets off this crazy social media pro and con chain reaction. Like it's gonna matter. The guy's rich. All these guys are rich. If anybody out there is expecting anything to happen, I have a news flash for you. I highly suspect zero is gonna happen. But in the meantime, according to Ultimate Classic Rock, 
Green Day is selling Nimrod shirts with Donald Trump's mugshot. <laughs> That's so in your face. The shirt's design borrows from the cover of the band's 1997 album, Nimrod, but with Trump's photo placed on it. <laughs> they should have used Dookie. That would have been funnier. The shirt is only available for a limited time. And the Green Day camp is saying that the proceeds will be donated to Greater Good Music, a charity working to send relief to those affected by the Maui fires. Oh, uh, that's pretty cool. Maybe the Trump fanatics will <laughs> buy a few. Let's move on to good times. Even though that last story there had some good times. And I'm going to say right now, these are one of the best good times I've seen in a long time. As a matter of fact, it's a pair of good times. According to a publication in Loudwire on the 24th of August, Motley Crue's Tommy Lee brings wife Brittany Furlan on stage to flash the crowd. Ooh. Motley Crue, with all the controversy of using backing tracks and their recent legal problems with former guitarist Mick Mars, finally something good that we can report here on Good Times comes out of the Motley Crue universe. In a recent performance in El Paso, Texas, not only did Tommy Lee convince a bunch of women to lift their shirts, but he brought his wife, Brittany Furlan, on stage to flash the crowd as well. Have you guys seen this? It's a video that Tommy Lee posted on his Instagram. Evidently, Motley Crue was having some issues with uh, having the ladies there present flash their hooters. I have a friend and uh, his daughter went to the Motley Crue Def Leppard show up there uh, in Kansas City. And <laughs> she was telling her dad about the ladies flashing their melons. <laughs> She was actually grossed out by it. But, you know, she's a kid, too. She's like 19 or 20. She's seeing all these middle-aged women up there in their 50s and whatnot. Drag out those flappers. <laughs> to make things more interesting and get the crowd into it, Tommy Lee sacrifices and asks his wife to uh, whip out her kazugas. Here's the audio of that video. You guys ready for this? <laughs> I'd be laughing, too. <laughs> the incredible part is that they actually went when the cantaloupas came out. <laughs> the video, of course, is a hell of a lot better than the audio, so check it out. If you're a fan of the mammary glands, you will not be disappointed. Well, that's it. Woo, as always, I want to thank the legion of listeners and the fans and whoever else subjected themselves to this podcast. I really appreciate it. Keep in mind, life is not that serious nor anything else. I have said on this podcast, question everything and don't believe anyone. Do your own research and come to your own conclusions. Again, search with the keywords, the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Listen to us on all the major digital streaming platforms. Activate the notification icon to be notified when we're online. Write a comment and share it with a friend, but mostly with an enemy. Thank you. I am your host, El Gran, Tommy Martinez, and you are listening to the Tommy and Adam Hard to Name podcast. Remember to always play it often, play it loud, but play it. Yeah.